Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Saturday night service on February 13th in downtown Covington. This talk is entitled Tending the Garden. And we're kind of using the metaphor which Jesus introduces in the parable of the sower to talk about the conditions of receptiveness of people's hearts to what God is doing. We start off this talk with a clip that uh, we're showing here that you will hear the audio on, but we're going to go ahead and put a link to it on our church blog. And there's also an accompanying spiritual exercise, uh, spiritual formation exercise, which will also be listed under the resource section at northshorevineyard.org so you can uh, take some of these ideas and and hopefully experience God through the scriptures and prayer in your everyday life uh, once you get done with this. So thanks for listening. I know in the age of YouTube, you're, you're waiting for the gag to happen. Like, you're waiting for some ridiculous thing to happen in that clip. Um, and it didn't happen. Uh, so what is the point of this clip? Um, what did it look like to you? What's going on? <laughs> no one stopped. This kind of strikes you as your typical scene of a, of a street musician you ever watch these guys down at Jackson Square and stuff? I love street musicians. I mean, really, actually, some of the guys that make the most money in New Orleans, a lot of people don't know that, is, is street musicians. I mean, if you're good at it, you can, you know. There was one time where we ran out of money, money in the French Quarter for parking, and I, I thought I was going to have to get a guitar and get Tevi to do some dancing and uh, <laughs> learn how to do that. Uh, but but the scene, I, I wanted to start off with this because... This may strike you just as your typical street musician playing in a... This is actually a subway platform in, in uh, Washington, D.C. And so it may strike you just as your typical, ordinary subway guy. Uh, not subway guy, but street musician playing in a subway. But this was no ordinary street musician at all. This was actually a guy by the name of Joshua Bell. Do any classical music fans in here? Um, you may have heard of this guy before. He's, he's a world-renowned violinist, uh, like one of the best there is. And he, uh, this was part of an experiment that the New York, uh, I mean, the, the Washington Post ran to see if music would somehow transcend the busyness in people's lives. Uh, you know, if, if you could put like a, a really incredible musician with an incredible instrument uh, in the middle of rush hour, would people stop and listen? And what did it look like happened? Very few stopped and listened. That's very true. And, and he, he played for about 45 minutes. And in that time, uh, a, over 1,000 people walked by. And only about seven actually stood and listened to him. And out of that, only a few actually dropped a, few, a little change in his violin case. You know how, how much money he made? 
he made $32 in that 45 minutes, which you might be thinking, hey, 32 bucks for 45 minutes, not bad. But understand, this guy was playing the Boston Symphony Hall a week before where the cheap seats were 100 bucks a person. This guy, he looked like an ordinary street musician, but he was anything but ordinary. He, in fact, he, the violin he was playing that day, it's probably one of the most expensive instruments in the world right now. It was a Stradivarius. You want to know how much he paid for it? $3.5 million. <laughs> $3.5 million. So here is one of the best violin players in the world playing on one of the best instruments ever made, and he was playing some of the most evocative and technically difficult music ever written for the violin. For the violin. He played several, you know, in the 45 minutes, played about six pieces from Bach that were just amazing pieces. And the acoustics in the subway... You may think that's a bad place for violin. It's actually a pretty good place for those kind of instruments, acoustic instruments. So a 1,000 people walked by that day, over a 1,000 people. And most of them heard the music, but most of them didn't hear the music. Most of them heard, but they didn't hear. Now, there's a scene in White Man Can't, can't Jump. Uh, the guy's saying, you hear Jimi Hendrix, but you don't hear Jimi Hendrix. Uh, it was the same way that morning. These people heard the music, but, but very few of them heard. And out of that very few that heard, there was, only, there was only one lady that actually recognized him. And she's actually the one, you know, really, if she hadn't come by, he'd have made 12 bucks. <laughs> she dropped a 20 in. <laughs> I want to read out of Matthew this morning. Um, this morning, this evening. Ever since the Saints won the Super Bowl, it's just one big unproductive blur this week. Uh, <laughs> Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. And such great crowds gathered around him that, no, that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell along the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Jesus came on the scene much like Joshua Bell did that morning. You know, there's a lot of people, they were expecting the Messiah. They were expecting somebody who was going to come on the scene and kick Roman butt and, 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 and free them from this occupation of the enemy and set things right. But Jesus came like Joshua Bell. You know, Joshua Bell, when he's in the subway that morning, he, he didn't come with a merchandise table with Joshua Bell 2007 t-shirts. It was two years ago when he did this. Or, and uh, he, he didn't have an entourage with him. He wasn't dressed in a tuxedo. He didn't look like, you know, people's idea of what a classical violinist needs to look like. How did he show up? He showed up with jeans and a baseball cap and, and a violin and a violin case. Same way, Jesus 
Jesus showed up on the scene. He looked entirely normal. You wouldn't have noticed Jesus in a crowd. He just looked like any other person living in, in his day and age. He looked absolutely normal. But just like Joshua Bell, the stuff that he was saying was anything but normal. See, for those people that were listening to Joshua Bell that morning in that subway, they got, they got a treat, <laughs> a treat that people would pay a lot of money to hear. They, those who were listening got to hear some amazing music by an amazing musician on an amazing instrument. Same thing with Jesus. Those who were listening heard the most amazing words about God's kingdom, about reconciliation with God, about what God was doing through Jesus in the earth. Jesus goes on to interpret the parable. Jesus, in verse 18, he says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown on his heart, and the seed goes along the path. It's interesting on this little section. Jesus starts off by saying, Listen. He's in the boat. He's addressing the crowd. He says, Listen. And how does he end it? He says, any of you who have ears, listen to what I'm saying. You know, this parable about the sower, it's really about how you listen to God. It's really fundamentally how you hear and receive the words of God, how you welcome what God's doing into your life. And, and Jesus starts off, he, he interprets his parable with his disciples a little bit later. He said the, 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 the first seed, it's the seed that goes along the, the, the hardened soil. This is the stuff that just bounces off. You know, most people, I guarantee you, in that crowd that morning of Joshua Bell, there's a lot of people who probably didn't even hear music at all. They're just, they're so wrapped up and so busy, and man, I got to get to this client and that thing, and I got to get to the office and check my emails and, and do this. And they're walking by, they, you know, something's off in the distance, but it, it just doesn't make any impact at all. That's the way it is for those who have a hardened heart. And, but understand this. Jesus, just like what we said last week, um, and if you weren't here last week, you can download the message from online, but the older brother in the prodigal son parable, he was a moralist. He followed all the rules, but he missed relationship with God. So he was doing all the things, going to church, uh, you know, obeying all the rules, but he missed relationship with his father. Well, the same thing, the, the ones in Jesus's day who had the hardest hearts, you know who they were? It wasn't the prostitutes and the tax collectors. It wasn't the people that were out there in the bars. It was the ones who knew it all, the Pharisees, the, the, the lawgivers. You know why their hearts were hardened? Because they already had it figured out. And Jesus didn't figure that into how, how, how they believed. They weren't expecting Jesus to come like that. They weren't expecting him to hang out with that kind of crowd. They weren't expecting that. Their hearts were hardened. And this should be a strong warning against any of us for getting too hardened in our beliefs. You know, sometimes you can just box God in, and God doesn't fit in your boxes very well. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Uh, God has a way of kind of blowing my mind. Uh, he, he doesn't fit into my little, I mean, I mean, even the fact that we're here today doing a church. I mean, this wasn't on the radar, you know, that long ago that he has a kind of a way of kind of moving things in a way that that just doesn't make sense in our scheme of things the second one verse 20 jesus says the one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy but since he has no root 
He lasts only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. These are folks that, that like the idea of Jesus. You know, I, don't, I, I find very little flat-out resistance to Jesus in our culture. You know, I mean, I know there, there's a handful of people that just absolutely hate Jesus. What I find most of the time is most people love Jesus. I mean, they like the idea. They like, you know, peace, love. It's great, you know. Jesus was a good moral teacher. He had some great things, positive things to say. Great. And some people receive Jesus with, with joy, and, and they're just great. This is awesome. But then they find out that the same Jesus that forgives you actually wants you to forgive other people. Ouch. Now, I don't know about that. <laughs> they find that the same Jesus that loved you when you were an enemy actually expects you to love your enemies. What you talking about, Jesus? Loving enemies? Are you crazy? I don't know if that's what I signed up. I signed up for the peace and love thing, the, the, the give me, get me into heaven when I die thing. That's what I wanted. <laughs> the same God that has laid his life down for you expects you to actually lay down your life for other people. And that's when most people give up because that love and enemy stuff, you know, not, not really that fun. <laughs> Laying down your life for even your friends, even your wife, even your husband, your kids, I mean, that, that's hard stuff. It costs you something to follow Jesus. And most people, when it gets into the reality of what that entails, they, 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 don't, they don't have enough for it. You know, and a, a good translation of these words um, is a lack of depth in the soil. The soil may look good, but it's just a little bit of topsoil. It's enough to get a little roots going, but that soil is covering up some big rocks, and they're called self-centeredness, selfishness. It's called my way is better than God's way. And when those things are at the core, you're not going to produce fruit. The third one, Jesus says in verse 22, is the one who received the seed that fell among thorns. And it's the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out and make it unfruitful. You know, some biblical scholars have actually noted an accurate rendering of this text is the anxiety of the age. Like the anxiety of the world we live in chokes out what God's doing. I mean, you, you realize it's possible that God can start something in your life and it can get choked out. And this ought to be scary. <laughs> particularly to those of you who've been Christians for a long time. You know, you, you, it's like you've never really arrived. You're never going to get to a point where it's like, oh, man, I've been working on this heart stuff for a long time. I'm going to take a break for a couple of weeks, you know. It's Mardi Gras, and uh, I'm going to just chill out. The Saints won, and I'm going to see how long we can use that as an excuse. for You know, we used Katrina for a long time, but uh, <laughs> the Saints, you know, uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to relax on this whole Christianity stuff and because, you know, I've, I've worked on it for so many years. But Jesus is saying the anxiety of this world. You know, I, I got to tell you, I, I've probably mentioned this before, but probably a year ago, year and a half ago, I had to, like, cut way back on watching cable news because I was just starting to get just depressed all the time. I mean, I'd wake up with a little... Cable news, watch a little local news, listen to a little radio in the car, go to bed with Anderson Cooper at night, you know, watch a little Anderson. And, and you know, I've, I found, like, man, I just start getting depressed, like, all the time. Like, the world is hopeless. And, it's <laughs> and I, 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 I was ceasing to really have, have a hope that, that God could do anything. The anxiety of this world or, or the, 
you know, the other thing he says in here, the uh, deceitfulness of riches and wealth. And I, I got to tell you, this has been a sad thing in my life. The last couple of years, I've seen more people abandon their faith in Christ because of these two things, either anxiety or because of going after, you know, the deceitfulness of wealth and status and stuff. I mean, dear friends of mine, I got, I got, I got some friends who have seen miracles. I mean, miracles in their life, <laughs> amazing things. And now they've, they've, they've just completely abandoned God. And it didn't happen overnight. It's not like, you know, they went from miracles happening in their life and great things, awesome things going on to the next day. <sighs> no, it just happened over time. It happened like seeds growing, growing up, and eventually they choked out what God was doing. Too many competing concerns in life. That's why we've got to watch our lives. You know, we, sometimes we, we kind of think that... that you know, it's okay to feel worried and anxious and, and, and kind of, it's okay to let these things in. It's okay to let these ideas in. You don't watch out. You don't put a little roundup in there from time to time to kill that stuff. It, it, it will overtake things. You know, I, I said my New Year's resolution this year is to grow a garden, and, and probably about another week we're going to start working on the soil. But I, I, the little bit I know about gardening is, it's not, we're not going to get to a point where we can just put the seeds in the ground and, hey, we got all the weeds up. We'll just wait a few months and see how things work out. No, if we do that, guess what? The tomatoes aren't going to grow. They're going to get choked out pretty quick. We've got to take care of that stuff. Finally, Jesus says in verse 23, he says, The man who received the seed that fell along good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the one or two people that were walking in the subway that day, and they're like, wow, you hear that? That's amazing. That is incredible. That's wonderful. That's the most beautiful music that I've heard. I know i got somewhere to be, but I'm going to stand here for a minute. I'm going to listen to this. They get it. They didn't just hear it. They heard it. See, this, this whole parable is it's about how you hear God. Not just how you heard God one time in your life, how you responded. No, it's how you continually listen to God. It's, it's are you receptive to what God's doing? Are you receptive to him? See, this last, this last thing is good soil. And that's where God wants each of us to go. I got to tell you, you, you've been around some people who've had good soil before, haven't you? You ever been around someone, they, they've just got good fruit in their life? You get around those people and you're like, man, there's just a sweetness about them. It's contagious. I've mentioned a story probably, I don't know if I mentioned it here. I'm sure I've told this story a couple of times. But when I was growing up, we'd go to Dallas to see my grandmother. And inevitably, while we're there, we'd be there for you know a couple of days. And at some point, we'd go across town uh, to uh, kind of the fairgrounds area in Dallas, if you're familiar with that. But it, it wasn't the best part of town to live in. And there was this... this uh, old black lady named Gertrude that we would go see. And uh, I didn't understand why as a kid why we had to go see this lady. But uh, my dad, I, I think there was something fundamental. Like he, he recognized the impact that this lady had on his life. And, and so he made it a point to, to kind of help her out along the way. You know, he'd send her some checks each month and, and just go visit to her, make sure she was doing all right. Turns out there was a few other people that did that. She was just a, she was a maid. She was a housekeeper, and she'd come to my dad's house uh, when he was growing up a couple times a week. And she had a few other families in the area. 
do you know what? She'd come to my dad's house, and while she was cleaning their, you know, cleaning their room up, making their beds, she'd be praying over their beds, praying that God would impact them. Well, my, you know, my dad, uh, he, he grew up in a very nominal, I mean, he went to a Methodist church, but it was, it, he had no real relationship with God. He was, he was, it was kind of a social thing. His mom took him there just because, hey, it's what you do. And so there was no sense of, like, he really understood anything. And and certainly by the time he came to about, you know, his teenage years, he started getting into the hippie craziness. And, and, and Gertrude kept coming over, kept praying for him. You know, I'm here today, and that woman's a part of my story. I got to tell you, I, I went, I, I, you know, even after my dad started making, you know, my dad, you, you kind of go there as a kid because you have to. But, you know, even even after... Uh, when I had a choice, when I was in Dallas, I'd go drive across town and I'd see Gertrude. And you'd sit there in her living room and she'd just go, oh, Crispin, let me tell you about the time uh, uh, I met Billy Graham when he was just 21 years old. And I told Billy, I told Billy, you, you got you to preach the word. And she, she just, you know, just would go on and on. And, and there was just such a sweetness about her. You know. Her, her life, from, from one perspective, it was lived in, in complete obscurity. I mean, in one perspective, her life, you know, if you look at it compared to the American dream and, and success the way we think of it, you would think, oh, psh, you know, she was just a maid her whole life. But, but her life lived in obscurity, made a difference on a lot of people, even in my story. She's got a part to play in this story. <laughs> Maybe even Billy Graham. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but that's a person who had good soil, and she bore good fruit. I don't know about you. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that people get around me, and they just walk away. I'd walk away from being around Gertrude, and you just feel better. You feel like you, you kind of know what life is about. You feel like you're a little bit more focused in on the things that really matter. And here she was in a little house, didn't, just modest little place, nothing pretentious or, you know, didn't have anything. <laughs> didn't even have a car. But, boy, she was the sweetest, most joyful happiest person I'd ever met. That's what I want to be like. Jesus says, <laughs> you know, the way to bear fruit, a lot of fruit in your life, it's, it has to do with your receptiveness to what he's doing, your hearing, your openness. So how do we keep our soil good? Um, I want to look at Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, you know, there, there's, there's two ways of living in this world. One that is ruled by fear and anxiety. One that's ruled by uh, foreboding. Or one that's lived in the peace of God. And Paul is inviting the Philippian church. He's saying, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And how do you get there? <laughs> well, he starts off by saying, rejoice always in the Lord. Rejoice in God. And he says, I will say it again, <laughs> just in case you weren't paying attention. Rejoice. He makes a point to say that. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's saying, live in such a way where you are celebrating God with your life. 
and understand that God is near. He's not far away. He's not up there in the heavens with a stick waiting to beat you down every time you mess up. He's actually near to you. Live in such a way as you understand that God is near next to you, closer than the air you breathe. He says, don't be anxious about anything. You may think, "Ah, yeah, whatever. I don't even know what that's like. (laughs) He says, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, you you live this verse. This is a way to be hospitable to life. To, to what God's doing. It's to be, these, this is the recipe, this is like miracle grow. <laughs> you want to be good soil for what God's doing? That's the way you get there. See, when we let go, when we step back, when we slow down, when we open our ears and our eyes and our hearts, when we open up our hands and, and just say, God, what are you doing? I trust you. I'm looking for you. It changes us. And when our heart finds God in such moments, you know what? Anxiety is not even an option. Have you ever noticed that before? I, I, I've noticed this sometimes in, in worship services. I'll come in and, you know, maybe you don't feel like worshiping or singing, but somehow you, you kind of shake yourself into it. You start singing a song, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you, you, you see things as they really are. <laughs> a peace settles in your heart. And all of a sudden it's just like, pff, God is much bigger <laughs> than, than these things that I'm struggling with. All of a sudden you get some much-needed perspective. So do you think Paul's words, written 2,000 years, have some relevance today? Absolutely. You know, I spent many years in high school as a lifeguard. Um, and uh, I, there was a couple occasions where I actually had to rescue drowning people. And if you're, anybody ever been a lifeguard in here? All right. Well, you know, rescuing a drowning person, it's, it's, that's a dangerous business. Because a, a drowning person, if you're not careful, if you can't kind of calm them down a little bit, <laughs> they will take you down. There's not going to be just one drowning person. There will be two. You know, it's like a drowning person. They can get so consumed with anxiety and fear that, that they can take a professional <laughs> lifeguard and take that person down. And the reality is surviving in the water is not that hard. The reality is all you got to do is turn over on your back. And if you lay right, you'll just float. Reality is, most people who drown, they don't drown in storms, usually, you know, chaotic waves. They drown in pools. They drown in very manageable situations where all they had to do was turn over and relax. But that's so counterintuitive, isn't it? (laughs) That we could just, uh, you know, in the same way we get freaked out about life. You know, Ezra... He, he's six years old now, but um, he, about a year and a half ago, we got him in some swimming lessons for about a month, and then we went, went to my dad's lake house up in Texas, and um, we're out on the water. And that, that first day, I didn't know how he was going to handle it in a lake. You know, swimming in a pool, one thing. Swimming in a dark lake, you know, where you can't see the bottom, that's a, that's a scary thing. So I thought, ah, I don't know how he's going to do it. But within about a day, he was just jumping off the boat and swimming out there, and, and he didn't have anything to hold on to. It's not like he could swim to the side. So what did he naturally do? He turned over on his back. He learned how to float on his back. He learned how to do the backstroke a little bit. And, and he would be out there for an hour or two and, and be completely fine. A five, it's so easy. A five-year-old can do it. But most of us have blocks against that stuff. If you've got phobias about water, you're like, yeah, I'm not laying back in the water. No way. <laughs> uh, 
That, that just seems like the last thing you want to do. But in the same way in our lives, when anxiety comes in, when fear comes in, when these worries and cares come in, the last thing we want to do is relax and trust God and take our, take our hands off. But you know what? <laughs> Your choice is you can either drown or you can float. You know, if we can relax a little bit, God can take us and he can, he can save us. But sometimes, sometimes when we're drowning, we don't even, you know, we're in such a panic state that God can't even do anything with us. You know what Paul's saying here in these, these verses in, in, in Philippians, it's about prayer. He talks about prayer, doesn't he? He says, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but, some, you know, in everything, give your prayers and petitions to God and the peace of that passes understanding will guard your hearts. But you know what, Paul, he's talking more about the posture of your heart than the actual activity of prayer. He doesn't start off this, this, this little, this little um, couple of verses. He doesn't start off by saying, pray all the time, as hard as you can. No, he starts off rejoicing God. <laughs> he starts off talking about thankfulness, about being aware of God's nearness. And then, and then in that state... Once you've dealt with your anxiety, once you've stepped away from that, once you've relaxed a little bit, once you said, God, you're, you're, you're big, you're large, you're in charge, I'm turning over, <laughs> then submit your prayers and petitions. And it says the peace that passes understanding, peace that's bigger than you can understand, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever seen somebody that had that kind of peace in their life before? That's an amazing thing. I've seen it a couple times. A person's going through a horrible battle with cancer or a horrible family situation or their business has fallen apart and they've got peace that is, you just don't understand. Like, how can you have peace? Hello? That comes from resting in God. And you know, that it, Paul actually says it will guard your hearts. That kind of peace actually guards your hearts when you cultivate that. It protects you. How many times do we offer our prayers just out of sheer anxiety? How many times do you just wait till you just get to a frantic place where everything is falling apart and you pray? <laughs> Paul is saying, don't wait. Don't, don't, don't do it like that. Calm down. Realize who God is. Realize that God's right there with you. Celebrate what he's doing. Look at, what he, look at what's going on with God. Pray from that point. So I want to close tonight by asking you, I'm asking all of us, where is your heart becoming choked by anxiety right now? Where is it that you're just, you're, you're just in knots? Where is your heart becoming hardened because of failed expectations? You know, the, 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 the Pharisees, they had expectations about God that were not met in the person of Jesus. <laughs> and their hearts were hardened to him. Where has God failed your expectations? I mean, where has God not shown up the way you wanted him to show up? Have you ceased to see God moving in your life? Have you ceased to hear his voice? Have you stopped uh, recognizing his nearness? This is a big deal. And, and tonight I just want to encourage you to, wherever you're at, to return to God. To open up your ears. I, I did, I gave... Most of y'all should have received a little homework thing, a little spiritual formation exercise there. And, and this is just something, it's based on Philippians there. This is something you can take home to do with you in this week. You know, start out your morning. Put ten, 10 minutes aside 
and just read over this stuff and, and begin to become aware of God's presence. Begin to let God deal with your anxiety. If you don't have one, we can print you another one out or you can find it online at our website. We got it up there. But I just want to close with this. This is Eugene Peterson's rendering of these verses from Ephesians. And this is, I think this is a great way to look at these words. This is Ephesians 4, I mean uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worry, instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it, up all, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Don't you feel like your, your perspective on life is already changing? <laughs> so I want us to look at that this week. I want that to be our homework. And we spend a little time in those words and let that sink in. What does that look like today, God? What is it that I just need to just let go of? Where do I just need to lean back like a little kid floating on a lake and just rest and let you take over? Where have I ceased to be receptive to what you're doing? Where have I just been so tied up in the worries of life that like the folks in that subway that morning, I, I don't even hear the music. I may, I may see a guy playing, but I don't even hear it. God, help me be attentive to that. Why don't y'all stand? Lord, we want to be the kind of people that are open to your kingdom, to your reign, to what you're doing. God, help us see what that looks like in the coming days. God, in those areas where we have let weeds spring up, God, where we have let attitudes in our hearts just kind of exist, God, where we've let worries, uh, cares for what people think and, and our own status or whatever, God, wherever we've let those things grow up, God, uh, God, just we want to deal with that junk, and we want that stuff uprooted, Lord. God, we don't want to be the same people, Lord. So we just ask you, Lord, to pull that stuff out, change our hearts, fill us with your life. I just pray every person in here, God, you bless us with the ability to, to sense your presence this week, your grace, Lord, that we could hear the music being played. We could see what you're doing. We wouldn't be too distracted and caught up in worries and bills and jobs and all this stuff to miss what you're doing. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If any of you guys want any prayer tonight, uh, Dina and Faith and myself, we're going to be up here uh, to pray with you if you'd like. If not, thank you all for coming out. We will be here next uh, Saturday. God bless.